Welcome to another episode of Digging Deeper. This is a podcast of Perimeter Church, and uh, we're having just tremendous conversations that are part of a series that we're calling Faith And. And so we've had a number of topics thus far, and today we're going to hit the very important topic that I can't wait to talk about of faith and work. And uh, when you think about it, work encompasses so much of what we do. It's a huge part of our lives. Even if it's not uh, a formal occupation, we are still people who work, who produce, who use our minds and our hands, and, and we use them in ways that God intended us to use. And we may not necessarily realize God's redemptive purpose in our work and what he's up to and how he made us for it. And so I'm joined with Laura, like usual. There have been a few of these episodes where Laura's not with me. Uh, but uh, she's usually my sidekick here, so I'm pumped to have Laura Thank Story you. Elvington, and we are thrilled to have with us Tom Yay. Nelson. And uh, Tom is a, uh, I'm going to call you a guru. Is that okay? You're a guru on faith that and work. That set me up for failure yeah. in this conversation. <laughs> in the best sense in the of best the word. In the <laughs> best <laughs> sense of the word, the most Christian sense of the I word. You're, you're, uh, I consider you an expert in this field, and yes. you have been... Uh, yeah, just an incredible blessing to Perimeter Church and our staff, um, probably in ways that you may not even realize through your book, through your teachings, uh, the ways in which we've gleaned so much from you and understanding kind of biblical theology and God's purpose and work and Genesis to Revelation understanding of kind of the storyline of redemption and um, so anyway, we'll get into all that, yes, but let me just say thank you for being here. Thanks for and joining it's us. It's my delight, Laura and Jeff, to be a part of your family, so to speak. To yes. I'm, yes. A, I'm a wonderful cheerleader of you from abroad and other places. Wow. So I love Perimeter and just each Perimeter family member. I just want to welcome you and I'm delighted to be here and pray this conversation will encourage everyone wherever we are in our spiritual journey. Yeah, absolutely. That we could begin to understand more and live absolutely. the life yeah. God has for us. Yeah. All right. Before we jump into the topic, tell, tell the listeners um, about yourself, what you do, your ministry, give them a little kind of a overview of, of those things. Well, thank you. I mean, I love your emphasis on being and becoming, not just doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's an important way to start the conversation, right? Yeah. For all of us, that our greatest gift to God and to life is who we're becoming, mm-hmm. just what we're doing. And I know we're going to talk about doing today, mm-hmm. but I just, yeah. I love that framing. So to give you just a glimpse a little bit of who I'm becoming and God's grace in my background, I came to faith when I was a young boy. So I grew up in a Christian tradition, Christian, Christian home. Um, and that has been very much a part of my journey for a while. You can see I have a little gray hair for many years. Uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a sweet journey. Not always easy, but it's a sweet journey. I am married to a wonderful woman named Liz. Mm. Uh, we will celebrate 41 years Yay. of marriage. And I always say that means, yes. And, and if she was here, uh, she's a woman of long suffering. I would just want to say that. <laughs> um, but uh, that's a real joy in my life. That's who I am, who we're becoming together. Yeah. Uh, she's a mental health professional. And mm. so there's just a lot of wonderful synergies and joys and new areas of exploration and curiosity and intimacy as we're a little older. So it's mm. a really sweet time of life. I have two grown children. Uh, my son lives in the Bay Area near Berkeley. Uh, I've been in California, went to school out there a long time. My daughter, Sarah, went east and she's back in Kansas City. She's married. Mm. Which so, is where you are. Right? Yes, I'm yep. in Kansas City. Yep. And so I have, we have a big dog named Hartley. Mm. So we don't have any grandchildren yet. But we have a hundred pound golden doodle. I was going to say, our house. golden doodle. We have a lot of dogs. Do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. love dogs. And he's 90 pounds. So, so hey, he, they had to beat each other, you know? Yeah. It's like, and Harley is doted on, he just hangs around the house. It's the most amazing dog. And where I serve, uh, I serve two roles. Uh, so I and my bride have been in Kansas City 34 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And we've had the joy after seminary to move to Kansas City and began the wonderful work of God we call Christ Community in Kansas City when there were two of us in an apartment 34 years ago. Mm. And it's just been an incredible privilege for us to have a front row seat and a wonderful work of God. And I tell people that Christ Community is an imperfect church like Perimeter. We're all mm. in process, mm. right, all of us? Wait, what? But it's a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah you are too, Jeff. <laughs> I, I mean, I know you're pretty, perfect. You're pretty <laughs> holy, but Laura's more holy. But I just... If, it was a shame, yeah. if, if, if we were perfect, it, that went down the tubes when I became pastor. It, it, that, that changed. Well, I mean, God uses very imperfect people. Uh, but I love being a part of a community for a long time. There's something about rootedness and longevity mm. that's a great privilege. 
And it's a congregation who increasingly loves God with their mind, heart, and hands. Mm. And then I serve a wonderful organization that's seven years old mm. called Made to Flourish. It's really helping churches and pastors live deeply into the conversation we're going to have mm. uh, on that's faith, good. work, and economic wisdom. Yeah. That's so awesome. that's a little about who I am, what I do. Love and it. thanks for letting me be here. Yeah. Made to Flourish is the name of the ministry, yes, correct? Yes, Made to Flourish. Yeah. And um, how many books have you written? Well, I've written five. Okay. Uh, the last three are probably more in this in arena. This, in this yeah. arena. Yeah. And yeah. Um, trusting God to take our little loaves and fishes, you know, writers or artists. Yeah. God gives us a little loaf and fish. It might not be that spectacular, but you know, God can multiply that. And I want to just share that with your listeners. It's like all of us have a few loaves and fishes. Remember yeah. that little boy that had a little bit in his lunchbox yeah. and Jesus multiplied it. So yeah, God's used the writing piece in my world mm. uh, and work matters. And we had economics and neighborly love that helps us understand faith and economics. And then the most recent one is the flourishing pastor that talks about yeah. leadership and brings it together. So yeah. well, grateful. I was about to bring that one up. And then I thought, well, he's, I know he's written more than that one. Yeah. So I want to make sure that you got yeah. to mention those others, but the flourishing yeah. pastor for me was really, really influential. Wonderful. And so I, I want to thank you for that. Encourages me. Yeah. 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 And loaves uh, and fishes, you know, God can go. use over loaves and fishes. Well, um, and, and Tom, yeah, I Laura. remember from the last time we were together, you, you shared a, a, a humbling story with us about kind of how God yes. birthed yes. Uh, this ministry that you weren't expecting mm. through um, doing a work of humility in your life. Oh, Do you mind sharing? I would love to. And you know, for you have experienced that, I'm sure Jeff, most of our listeners have experienced that failure mm. is often God's opportunity mm -hmm. to bring transformation to our life and to the world around us. Yep. So I am very much a living poster boy for that. Yeah. And Soren Kierkegaard, who's one of my favorite philosophers of a certain era, said something. And I'm not really that smart, but I know genius when I find it. So if I can <laughs> share a little nugget. <laughs> You Kierkegaard quote, is brilliant. You quote smart people to I do, yourself. I do, and I hang with smart people like you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um. So Kierkegaard said something really important, and it fits in my story. So he said, we live our life forward, but we truly understand its meaning backward. Mm. Yeah. In other words, all of us don't know what's ahead. We look through the front windshield, but we have a little bit of time, and mm. I've had a little more time. You look back and say, wow, God has woven together a tapestry of meaning and beauty and he's not done with me yet. So in my failure, I'm just saying, often God uses our failures to bring him the greatest glory and to bring transformation to us. And I think it's because he's ultimately interested in his glory. He takes our failures and does something beautiful with it. Mm. So about five years into my pastoral work, um, I stood before my congregation and made a confession. Okay, now when pastors make a confession, mm. you can hear a pin drop, yep. right? I mean, yep. you know, and usually it's around and it's, tragic and sad, and it's only the grace of God where we don't, um, is a financial malfeasance or moral impropriety. But I had a really significant malpractice, and it was based on my new understanding as I studied scripture and theology. I'd been to seminary and again, had great teachers, but I began to realize that I was committing pastoral malpractice, and that's what I communicated to my congregation. And simply is that in my role as a pastor, I was called to equip God's people not just for the slimmest minority of their life. I mean, mm. if you were to ask me, I was committed to discipleship, but really I was much more concerned how well I did on Sunday than how God's people did on Monday. Mm. And the Lord took me to the woodshed, theologically, missionally, personally, just want to say, mm. and said, Tom, you're not living an integral life because of an impoverished theology. And theology is not just crusty. It matters for our life. Right. You know, it's, it's right. real, it's rich, it's living. But I also realized that it had malformed my understanding of my pastoral role, my calling mm. in the broader work of God. When you have impoverished theology, you often have an impoverished understanding of calling, regardless of where God has called us. Mm. And I had to be honest, like, I, that's where I was. So, mm. Laura, that was the kind of context where, and, you know, the congregation was like, I thought you know the Bible. I, what are you doing, you know? Yeah. But that put us on a journey. Mm. That really, and I don't say this over the time, transformed me, transformed my, the congregation I served. It changed our language, our missional priorities, because I said, I'm spending the majority of my time equipping you for the slimmest minority, minority of your life. And by God's grace, from this day, that's going to change. We're going to focus on the majority of your life and equip you for the majority where God has called you every day to live, work, and play. Mm. 
Now, mm. that doesn't mean Sunday doesn't matter, sure. right? The gathered church, we use that language if you're yep. new to the faith. The gathered church matters. We are to come together for lots of enrichment. It really matters. But our Christian faith is more than Sunday. In fact, our primary focus is where God calls us the rest of the week. Mm. And again, that was the shift that was so transformational. And I had to confess my failure there. And mm. out of the ashes of my failure, God has allowed me to be a quiet catalyst and a mm. conversationalist around the nation through writing and speaking to help churches and Christians who are apprentices of Jesus live more fully into a gospel faith that speaks into every nook and cranny of life. Mm. So that's, thanks for asking, but that is part of my story. And I think it's for God's glory. And I would have never imagined that I would be here with you speaking mm. about this, but it comes out of my own failure that God has allowed me to Man, be a part of redeeming so that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That, that, I mean, one of the things, and, and we haven't spent a ton of time together, but we've yeah. spent a little time together. And I'm not just saying this because mics are in front of our face. Yeah. And, you it's know, been good to be with it, you, Jeff. Yeah, well, you too. And one of the things that has struck me about you is your humility and your uh, your willingness. I mean, again, that story that you just shared, uh, yeah. you shared with our leadership yes. team yeah. very quickly with us is to say, you know, uh, and I can remember actually yeah. when you shared that with us uh, last year when you were with us and you used that terminology of pastoral malpractice. Inwardly, I went, oh, because I didn't know where you were going with it at the time. It's a right? bit provocative. Yeah. I mean, and, so. and then when you said, in full disclosure, when you said, you know, I wasn't, my theology was off and I was, and, and that, that phrase you just used a moment ago that you used then too was so convicting, still is, of as a pastor for me that, you know, I'm only caring about what am I doing on Sunday. I'm not caring about what the congregation is doing on Monday, Monday through Friday. And, but when you began to explain what your pastoral malpractice was inwardly, I was like, Oh, well, that's not that big a deal. But then the more I thought about it, yeah. the more I was like, well, it felt like that was an overstatement at the time, but the more I've understood hmm. this more, what God has created us for in the redemptive thread of what he's doing is so much bigger than just personal salvation, mm-hmm. right? All, of course, I'm going to preach this Sunday. Yeah. When we're recording this, this you know this won't be aired till later. But this, what I'm preaching this coming Sunday will right. be a lot about personal salvation. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes. It's awesome. It's great. We're going to preach it. But to give our people the bigger picture of what God has designed us for, and and the the story He's inviting us into. I love the story, language. right? Yeah. Right. Uh, you've helped me see that in deeper and bigger ways. And so I just want to thank you for that, but I want our listeners yeah. to get it. So let me ask you this question. When we think about that, the story God's inviting us into the, the bigger story of redemption that God has written for us and how our work plays into that. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. What, what are ways that you begin yeah. to help people grasp and, 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 you know, kind of see it. And, or or and, maybe even myths that yes. you're kind of debunking yeah. as yeah, you yeah. teach yes. about faith and work. Well, let's go back to just a minute. I mean, when I think I got to do one focus, uh, yeah. but let's let's press on to the areas where we have a wrong or an impoverished view of the story. Yeah. One thing I want to just say is following what you said about salvation, or we use the language saved. Yep. One of the things, at least in my my story, and again, I have a, a rich tradition, is so much was emphasized on what we are saved from. Yeah. And so little was emphasized what we were saved for. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yep. So well I, I think that helps kind of transition the conversation to this bigger story mm-hmm. that for me, and I'm just saying for me, I had a really truncated understanding of the Bible. Now, the Bible is hard to understand. I mean, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not in chronological order. I mean, regardless if you've been in the Bible all your life or you're new, and I know Perimeter loves the Bible and teaches the Bible, and I love that, right? Mm-hmm. It's really important in our formation. But it's really hard to understand the Bible, even though it's the masterpiece of masterpieces. Mm-hmm. We read it, it reads us, which is unique, yep. right? It's the most mm-hmm. amazing book, right? Which is our book. Yep. But it is hard to navigate it, whether you've been, you know, because again, it's arranged in certain ways. Okay, having said that, it's easy to get kind of um, bogged down, I said this right, in the massive complexity and layers of meaning of this book, mm-hmm. these 66 books called the Bible, right? So what we need, I think, is helpful for all of us, regardless of where we are. I mean, if we've been in seminary, if we're new to the faith, if we're exploring the faith, is to begin to look at the Bible through the lens of a story. Mm. So your language story is really important mm. for us. 
And it helps us understand that the Christian faith is not just something we give mental assent to. It's not just something we celebrate on Sunday. It absolutely frames all of life. It's yeah. what Lewis said, you know, I believe in the sun, not because I see it was written, but or see it was risen, but by seeing it, I see everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we think about a story that frames our life in every dimension. That's what I just want to sort of frame our conversation yeah, because good. work then fits deeply in that story. It's a major thread of the story. And that's what we often miss, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. makes sense if we begin to understand the story. So I just, I want to frame it that way as we think about that. And also we know this now more than ever that we think and find meaning as human beings in metaphor and story, mm-hmm. our whole neural pathways, interpersonal neurobiology, all the research tells us we are story people because yep. we were created with a story in mind, one in which God creates and Jesus enters and welcomes us into that story. So that is a really great metaphor framework. And I just affirm, guys, at yeah. perimeter, when we think about the Christian faith, we think about this grand story mm-hmm. and that the story in God's grace and mercy invites sinners like you and me into the story to be his beloved. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a pretty good news thing, right? I love it yeah. so much. And let me interject I mean, just, very quickly. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. I interject very quickly because... Um, a few years ago on Easter, I preached and, and used the story metaphor. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I had a guy come up to me afterwards and he, I just want to clarify what we mean by story. Yes. It's not a made up story. No. Somehow he had heard me saying that I am saying that it's a story no different than a story that Hollywood would write or something Correct. like that. Like, no, 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 this is, this is the grand story. Yes. The story of all stories yeah. that's not made up by man and yep. it's not, conjured up in our imagination. It's, it's real. It's true. But I still love using it as you're saying, because it grabs us. Right. And, and it does. Our hearts enter into it so much more vividly when we understand there's a true story that we've been invited into. We've been invited yeah, into. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's really clarifying because the story language uh, does not mean that it's completely disconnected from time, space, history, mm. or eternity. Mm-hmm. Our story embraces both, Yeah, right? In factual time, space, history, but it also is embedded in eternity. This is the brilliance of the story. So when we think about work, okay, faith yeah. and works, we've talked about that. If we understand the Christian faith as, or the biblical text as a story, one of the ways to begin to unpack its complexity for all of us and I'll make the connection to faith and work in a moment. But the broader story, one of the ways to navigate the complexity, think of little signposts, four signposts over all the Bible. The Bible has 66 books, right? From Genesis to Revelation. And we can get lost in the complexity mm-hmm. and the details. Every detail matters, right? Every word is inspired. I believe mm-hmm. that. But these, this is helpful. So wherever we are in our Christian faith, I think it's helpful to see the Bible at least in a four-chapter developing story. And what we have in the Bible is chapter one, which is original creation. Mm-hmm. It's captured in just two chapters, Genesis one and two, right? Yep. I mean, you know yep. that. And that gives us a picture of an integral God creating an integral creation where we, the crown of creation, are the absolute zenith of it. Mm-hmm. Right? But you have a picture of God's design and desire that is perfect and beautiful. And we use the Hebrew idea of integral, tome. Mm-hmm. It's an integral creation. Yeah. What happens in Genesis 3, right? Yeah. This is what we're all feeling. Right. You have the fall, rebellion and sin, and that's the second chapter where God's good creation is disintegrated mm. between relation with one another, between creation and between God, mm. all three. Mm. So what's the third chapter then, right? The third chapter is God choosing, and in Genesis 6, there's this amazing conversation like God just says it got so bad by Genesis 6 mm. there's such a downward spiral like I'm going to wipe this sucker out that's a little bit of a paraphrase <laughs> yes. I'm going to start over I mean it's really yeah. right yeah. Well, what comes out of that there's this contrast in the Hebrew text like but Noah mm. so Noah God gives Noah favor sinful man is I'm going to remake redo this whole thing through a plan of redemption and I'm going to do it rather than wipe it out so we have this picture from Genesis 3 on all the way to 6 and on that God is going to redeem it. God is going to mm-hmm. do a new work. And ultimately, it points to Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jesus is going to come, not only as the individual Savior, but the cosmic Redeemer. And then as we go, creation, the fall, 
then the vast majority of the Bible is about this redemption plan in Christ, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But what is the last chapter? It's what we call new creation, consummation. Mm. In the Bible, we get little glimpses of it. Yeah. Like in the Old Testament, Isaiah. Like, this is what's ultimately mm. coming. The lion will lie. Right. The lamb, right? Yeah. 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 And then we build on that all the way through the Bible. And at the end, it's what the bookends matter, like in a movie or a book. Yeah. Got to know the beginning and the end. You have this beautiful picture of the new heavens and new earth where there's no more death, no more dying, no more sin, right? Mm. The nations come together and it's the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. And Jesus says, right, through John, I'm going to make all things new, not all new things. So this helps us understand mm. there's this creation, fall, redemption, new creation. One of the ways to translate that, y'all, it's beautiful, is to take four words. And this affects our work. Mm. How we see Monday is what ought to be as original creation, how God designed us to work, right? What is, right, it's the word is, what is, is how we experience a broken world, mm. broken workplaces, broken bosses, frustrating work, injustice, economic, whatever, right? So the is. But we're not left there because in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, in the goodness of the gospel, we move from is to what can be. Mm. Mm. So you have ought, is, can. And the can is to live as the gospel and the New Testament writers and Jesus models to live fully into our calling in that workplace. Jesus was a carpenter after all. He spent the vast majority of his life yeah. as a worker, yeah. right? Before yeah. he's a tenor rabbi. And then Rabbi Paul, Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, the gospel profoundly changes your Monday world. Whatever you do, do your work hardly as unto the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this ought is, can, will is a simple but That's very profound will. way. Will is what we will ultimately yeah. work in the new heavens and earth. Yeah. And that blows my mind because my Monday work is not only important now mm. but who i'm becoming in the work yeah. how i'm loving my work co-workers what i'm doing in a mystery has some continuity in the future new heavens worth mm. so this arouses my imagination it yeah. blows me away yeah yeah and, and what we do will have implications yeah. later so audience can will is a way to think about our work thread all of us were created to work our work is not what it ought to be yep. we deal with it every day yep but with the power of the spirit and the gospel, we are called to bring redemption to that work, but we will never fully experience that until the new heavens. It's still so that be broken, but, but still redemptive. Yep. I love that. It's just love a good that. framework to each one of us are called to that story. Oh, it is. Ken will. I know you're sitting on questions over there, so mm-hmm. I'm going to, I do. I, 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 I'm, I, yeah, I want <laughs> I you to go. But does you that make sense? I mean, like, it's a big question. Let, let me say this like, and then you go. No, you I just lied. I want to help us navigate. So the importance of this, what you just said, I'm thinking at some level is, is blowing some people's minds right now in this sense. So are you, because it's such, it's such a like, so, so if you're reading between the lines a little bit here, I'm going to play devil devil's advocate a little bit. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but follow me. So you're saying that there's something more than what's happening internally with me. That's going to last forever. You know, in other words, yeah. I think yeah. I think within the Christian yeah. culture we have so we have so kind of thought and been taught even explicitly right. that the only thing that lasts forever are God His Word and the souls of men. Mm-hmm. So yeah. only invest in those things, yes. and nothing else really yes. matters. Yes. But what I'm hearing you say, and what our listeners are hearing you say is, yep. no, no, there, there's He's going to make all things new, and so there's things that we're investing in now that aren't only intrinsic right. they're actually yes. very externally yes. based and materially yes. based that are going to last forever yeah so right? here's i mean again this is what i earlier on reflected the more i've studied the scriptures yeah okay from genesis to revelation the more that idea okay and it's a good idea god's word people's souls eternity matters yeah okay mm-hmm. we never want to diminish that However, yes. that can become reductionistic. And what I mean by that is we can miss some other aspects of the story. Yep. Where it goes back to is two things. One is, how do we understand when God originally created material reality, mm-hmm. right? Stars, the material world, God declared in powerful Hebrew language. Yep. He looks back and says, it was good, good, good. It's very good. Yep. And yeah. this Hebrew phrase Basically, God says, I've outdone myself. Hmm. It's, told it's exceedingly good. Like, yeah. wow. Mm. 
right? Not in an egocentric way, but just in a sure. beauty, like, wow. Yeah. Recognizing what beauty. we have done, yeah. right? By our word, spoken word. So mm-hmm. that's, if we understand the whole story, we understand the importance of the bookends of the story, we understand the goodness of creation, the material world, yeah. okay? Now, I don't know any place in scripture where all of a sudden we say, God says, that isn't good anymore. Mm-hmm. It's been corrupted, yep. right? It's been disintegrated. Mm-hmm. But I think as you study scripture, you realize in lots of reasons we can talk about why that original creation is still good. It's not destroyed in Genesis 6, right? The flood changes things, but he rescues, yep. right? Doesn't totally eradicate it. Right. So all that to say is that when we walk through the scriptures, we have language, like in uh, a book, in, like the Apostle Peter, if you know, like Peter in the book, yep. first second Peter, Second Peter, we have language of fire. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is this fire, looking to the fourth chapter, is it primarily eradication or purification? Mm-hmm. So how we understand the whole story, I want to suggest, does not in any way minimize the importance of the eternal. But what it does sometimes, it devalues the material. Mm-hmm. And God is the author of material and spiritual reality. There's no empty space in the universe. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just I'm saying, I don't want to minimize, but I do think it's a bit myopic, and it misses the whole story. It misses yeah. the bookends, and that's what I hadn't studied. And then it makes all the sense. One one last thing makes all the sense if we have a fuller understanding of the renewal of all things and the importance mm. of material reality and the importance of our Monday worlds now for all eternity. Mm. And some of it will be purified. Sure. Right? Some it's of it not, won't last. Yeah, right? some yeah. won't last. Yeah. But if we look at Jesus, we should probably look at Jesus. Right? <laughs> and the story is not only about him, he enters it. Obviously, that's the good news of Easter, right? And mm. How glorious we've been celebrating. You have to put in context. I would say most of our listeners would say God is pretty smart. <laughs> we don't have to say omniscient to say he's pretty smart. Yeah. So when he reveals himself to us, both in his written word and living word, Jesus comes to planet Earth. Right? He's sent on this rescue mission, the sinless Son of God, right? Incredible story. And we know by Dr. Luke, Luke, yeah. we know that at age 12, in all that mystery of humanity and deity without sin, Jesus knows everything already. Yeah. And the, his leaders in Jerusalem, like, they're just stunned at this young yeah. guy yeah. at 12. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so we know that. So you have to ask the question, if Jesus only came as an individual savior to seek and save the lost, which he did, and that's an important part of his mission, he says that, then why would Jesus, in obedience to the Father, hearing, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, way before he gets to an itinerant ministry of the cross, why does God have his son spend 30-some years working in a carpenter shop mm. rather than being an itinerant rabbi proclaiming the kingdom of God for 30 years or yeah. 20 years. Mm-hmm. You have to wrestle with that. Yeah. How does the story connect? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, I think the story brilliantly connects mm-hmm. if we understand that, and not to minimize Jesus' ultimate sacrifice on the cross, sure. his ultimate mission. Sure. Don't mis- misunderstand yeah. me. Mm-hmm. But it never made sense to me, the hidden years. Mm-hmm. Mark will talk about his hidden years. Why would God do that? Mm-hmm. It only makes sense with this more integral story. That's good. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 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 Jesus models it, and he knows exactly what it's like to deal with difficult customers that you're dealing with. Yeah. You know, temptation without sin. He's sinless, but he dealt with a lot of hard people. He sweat, mm. right? He worked hard every day. Long he learned hours. how to run a small business. Yeah. 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 And most of his teaching, by far, is centered in the marketplace and economics. That's his mm. parables. Mm. So you have to wrestle. Where's the coherence? Mm. And I just think there's a seamlessness. And I want to be very charitable. I don't, all of us look through a mirror dimly. None of us have it all figured out. Yeah. 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 But this framework, this story, I think is most faithful to all of scripture, the whole counsel of God that we all believe in. And I think it, the threads fit much better than the other, mm-hmm. more what I think is a more impoverished, limited story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I was, as you were sharing that, I was thinking about a man that I met maybe just two or three weeks ago. Yeah. And we, um, we met at a benefit, uh, it was a, a nonprofit organization that was, you know, serving in the community. And this man was telling me about, um, he, I, I didn't, obviously I had just met him, but I could already tell that he had been wildly mm-hmm. successful with his construction business. And he said, I feel like God has called me, uh, you know, and give, blessed me with the success. So 
that I can give money to people like you guys who are doing the real work of the kingdom. Hmm. So on one hand, I'm, I'm so thankful that he's... That, to be generous. And- yeah, he's being generous. But what would you say to him about <clears throat> that sort of view of his work? Hmm. Okay, what I would say, and again, very respectfully and gratefully, yeah. like he wants to do right unto God. So I just want to affirm that, right? He realizes all that God has given him is not his. Lots of good things are. What I would simply suggest is that if he looks at scripture, he will understand that God created him to work, mm. right? And to love his neighbor in and through his work. This is the gospel of Luke. Jesus teaches that. And to say in scripture, Paul, for example, says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord, do it heartily. Okay. But what I would suggest that his work itself has intrinsic value. We use this language of utilitarian value. Mm. And probably what I would say to, to this fine guy is to say, you know, God calls each of us to play a role in his kingdom. And you are particularly gifted in your Monday life to do work that brings high value to many people. Not only do you provide jobs, and this is a very important thing. Let me just tell you a story because there's so many fine people like that yeah. that I ran into. So Steve is a guy, I'll just give you a story. Steve is a guy at the church I serve, the campus I serve. And Steve grew up kind of in the church, got involved with a parachurch organization in college, wonderful parachurch organization. And the parachurch organization, he would say, that's when I came to a personal faith. Mm-hmm. And the, and, and the, Parachurch organization was great. But he said, I learned early on in my faith that really there was full-time Christian work and secular work. This is the framing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, I carried that with me. And I was a great soccer player. He, he won the championship with Indiana University, did professional soccer. And then he was recruited by Mobile Oil to be a global business person. He showed up back at Christ Community now at age 60, very successful. He came to our congregation and began to sit under our teaching, enter our culture. And it was only a couple of years he came to me and said, Tom, I've had this transformation in my life. He said, for 60 years, and I'm six years old, I thought I was on God's B team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I wasn't a missionary, yeah. I wasn't a pastor, as important as that is. And so now I have the framework to understand that I misunderstand completely God's call in my life. I felt like a second-class citizen, and the only way I could try to bridge the gap and hope for the best is to give a lot of money to people who are really doing yeah. full-time Christian yeah. work. Yeah. And Dorothy Sayers, who's a brilliant contemporary, C.S. Lewis said it brilliantly, she said, the only Christian work is good work well done. Mm. So we have a language problem. Mm. We have other problems, right? This person is wonderful. I'd love to sit down and say, hey, yeah. God has been very pleased if you've done it unto the Lord for his glory and love people, not just he's pleased when you give, but also your work itself matters. Yeah. 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 There's a common misconception that I've heard a lot mm-hmm. um, that work is a result of the fall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you think about those chapters you talked about, right? Creation, fall, redemption, <clears throat> consummation. Yeah. That we, we don't see work until post-fall, which is not true. It's not true. Uh, talk a little bit about that. When do we see yeah. work show up biblically and what was God's design yeah. and work? Well, yeah. and, and even how yes. does that play into the fact that uh, there is such an emphasis on rest? Mm. Like Indeed. How does and that both are important. Yep. Yes. Like yeah. when, when we think of heaven, one of, you know, rest, eternal rest. So how does work? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So let's I just press in a little bit to Genesis 1 and 2. It's such an important text. Yep. I mean, I just think as we think this is our text and I know you guys teach it, but let's just start with Genesis 1.1. I mean, how does God introduce himself in special revelation? How does he do it? He could have introduced himself in many, many ways because God is a God of great personality and intellect. He introduces himself. The very first verb, action verb in the Bible is bara. And that is a picture of work. God introduces himself Hmm. in the very opening verse as a worker. Hmm. Okay. That, that should say something. And then we begin to see the unpacking of his work, mm. right? Each day of creation. And then he creates humans. And he says, wow, this is unique. Let us make them in our image. Mm. In the image of God, he made them male and female. He made them. Right after that, he gives them what we call in theology, you know, to be a theologian, like the cultural mandate. That's the foundation. 
how do we fit into God's creation? What is our responsibility? What's our privilege? Where do we fit? Mm. And remember, this integral creation all fits. Yeah. That's the idea of seamlessness, tom tamim. This is the idea. So then he gives us the cultural mandate. Probably the only place in the whole Testament there are five verbs backed on each other like tracks on a train. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Wow. It's like you don't see that very often. Mm. Like bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And that is our mandate, right? What does that mean to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion? It's not just having babies. Let me just press into it. Yeah. Okay. So that's Genesis 1. That's the framework. That's the backdrop. Genesis 2, what do we have? We have an incomplete creation, right? God looks at what he's done, and he says, hmm, there's no man to work the ground. Mm. There's a place where humans fit into my creation uniquely. And so he creates Adam. It's the picture, right? Mm. And he takes Adam and he puts him in the garden, yeah. the garden, which means the light, Eden. Mm -hmm. And then in 2.15, he gives Adam the job description. Mm -hmm. You follow me so far? Yep. I mean, just the story. You can yep. look and I encourage you to listen. Read through Genesis 1 and 2 again carefully. Yep. It's amazing what we see. In 2.15, God takes Adam. He says, okay, this is how you fit. This is what you're about. You're a model image me, both when we think of Salem, which is image, that's connection and reflection, relationship and work or creativity. That's the primary idea here. So he takes another guy and says, I'm going to, well, here's what I want you to do. Two things, to cultivate and to keep it. Mm. Cultivate is nourish. Keep is protect. Mm. Okay? Mm. Beautiful. So he, this is what you're to do. Yeah. And then we have the strangest thing happen in Genesis 2. We have this weird chalkboard moment. Do you ever, I guess we don't do chalkboards anymore. <laughs> white, white <laughs> it shows my age. Yeah. But like all of a sudden there's, you know, it's like, <laughs> what? God says, it's not good. We've been hearing good, 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 good. Very good. All of a sudden God says, nope, not good. You go, what? It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper. It's azer. Yeah. This word is hugely important. And then he brings Eve, right? out of his side. And the question you have to ask right there is Eve a helper for who or a helper for what? Hmm. Both. Yeah. But the primacy of the text up to that point is the human job description that Adam can never accomplish alone. Yeah. Hmm. And then he brings in the animals and naming has dominion, but it also, I mean, people say, well, obviously Adam didn't fit in terms of a mate and that's true. But in the flow, it's the, the animals can't do what Eve can do to accomplish my mandate mm. for your creative mandate in the world. Mm. Okay? So I'm just saying, then we have marriage at the end. But if you look at that, you get to see how God designed yeah. us. And I just think that really helps us understand the story. So like a movie, like a book, I'm saying like you, you know, if you ever had the experience like you missed the opening of a movie or a book <laughs> and you go, yeah. Where am I? How yeah. does this work? You gotta know the book ends. And how do I fit in? And yes. Yeah. So that's why there's so much, all of scripture is important for us as Christians. Uh -huh. But if you don't grasp the depth of the beginning, yeah. right? And then as it relates to work also, just another conversation, go ahead and look at this. I'm just giving you a little sample, okay? Follow it. A great, great rabbi said this, uh, Abraham Heschel, one of the best books on the Sabbath. He said, one of our perils this is called the peril of superficiality, is that we tend to see what we know rather than know what we see. Let me just let you, that when we really look at what the text says and what is really there, we begin to make all kinds of connections to our life and work. So what happens in Genesis 3? There's this massive disintegration. Have you ever thought about this? Fascinating to me. Like, why is the curse about thorns and thistles and why is it yeah. pain in childbirth? Have you ever thought about that? Mm. Well, I've always had questions, but it makes sense if we understand Genesis 1 because the first verb of the culture is be fruitful. It's para. Mm -hmm. Fruitfulness has two dimensions. And this is true in Deuteronomy. The fruit of the land, that's our work, and the fruit of the womb. Mm. So you begin to see how that curse of sin profoundly impaired fruitfulness. And Rabbi Jesus will come back and the upper room talk about fruitfulness, mm. okay? And it's multifaceted. I'm just saying, there, just to encourage you, there's such beautiful fit in yeah. God's holy word. Yeah. But if we begin to see it, then we see how our story fits mm. into that and how it makes so much sense in my work as a mixed bag. Mm. 
It brings joy, meaning. It's like yeah. who I am. Like, I feel it, right? I love this work. Yeah. Some of you our listeners are like, I can't stand my work. Yeah. So it's always a mixed bag. Yeah. Until the new heavens and earth. And that will be awesome. Yeah. I don't think we'll just be singing with harps. Well, there'll be a lot of good work and creativity there. Yeah. Without all the just, sin and, and that was what I was just about to say is, you know, we, we experience work yeah. now in such a encumbered way. We do. Right. It's and some of our work isn't going to last. Some of it will. Yeah. Right. And some work, um, it, it, I would presume none of our listeners are involved in, you know, but there's some work that yeah. is done in terms of ways to make income on this in the, in the earth now and it's fallen state that is completely against the will of yeah. God, right? That, yeah. you know, of course will not be in the new heavens and new earth. Um, but we experience it in such an encumbered way, right? Because of the uh, either literal or proverbial thorns and thistles, right? right? That just yeah. make it really hard yes. and it's hard to bear fruit. I think one of the things that blew my mind a few years back when I was studying this for the first time is wrapping my head around that we will work in the new heavens and new earth. Isn't that fascinating? And that will be, yeah. as God said in the beginning, that will be good, be good, right? Be very good. And how that will be a big part of our eternal reality and how we glorify God yeah. for all of eternity. And of course, and then that gives light to now, yeah. Even in this already not yet brokenness that we're in, Indeed. it's a big part of how we glorify God. Yeah. And um, I want to echo something you said earlier. Sometimes I had these conversations with folks, particularly folks that were very much, uh, well, let me just not even say it that way because that sounds negative, that I'm very much like in the sense of my training. Because um, what I mean by that is, I was trained, like I mentioned earlier, that right. the only things that matter are God, his word, and the souls of men in terms of what lasts. And so as a result, the the primary and really usually only emphasis of kingdom work was evangelism. Yes. Share your faith. Share your faith. Share your faith. I want to be clear, as you have stated, I want to be I want it to be repeated many, many, many it's times. Very important. Yes. We we desire we if we have the heart of God, then we like God desire that no man should perish that all come to repentance. So we, yes, of course, share our faith. So I'm just repeating. I just want it to be heard. Yeah. We are not saying that this is in place of, that yeah. theology of work and faith and work is in place of a, um, you know, getting saved right. mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's not reductionistic in that sense. It's, it's just saying there's a, even a bigger picture yeah of how beautiful God's redeeming work is. And that as we share the gospel with people, we're helping them enter into this story. That's so, so very beautiful that even your work has redemptive purposes. And it's, you know, the majority of time we spend a huge amount of time. Mm -hmm. Again, let's also make sure we define work because in English, we often think work is tied to compensation or remuneration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Biblically from Genesis, it's contribution to God and to others, right? To good. So I just want to, Work itself, and you can have paid work and non paid. And some of our listeners are in what I call post paycheck world. It's called retirement. But I mean, like from cradle to grave, we're called to contribute. And much of our contribution, there was a commercial many years ago, I think it was Jeep or whatever. I'm not getting any funding for that. (laughs) It was a commercial that said, We shape our work and our work shapes us. And I thought, How brilliant that is. Mm -hmm. Because we do. We shape our work, it's part of being creative. But that work actually shapes us. And yeah. I, I I don't know this. There's a lot of mystery in chapter four, right? Of the new heavens and earth, what sure. will be. Yeah. Sure. And I think it's meant to entice us, to mm-hmm. stretch our imagination, to encourage our hope, like what God has for us uh, when we've been there 10,000 years, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think there's some reason to suggest that much of our work is formative. Yeah. If we let it, suffering, joy, creativity, developing skills, I think it's formative under God's sovereignty where God ever has planted you for you to become a particular kind of person. Remember I said earlier, your greatest gift to God and for eternity is who you're becoming in Christ. Mm -hmm. But that doing and becoming have a synergy, Mm -hmm. symbiosis. Mm -hmm. So I have a hunch and it brings great meaning and faithfulness and energy and dependence on my daily work, whether it's preaching, teaching, Mm -hmm. changing a tire, changing a diaper, like the things I am learning and becoming in what I'm doing, I think, just my opinion, it's not, we have confidence, not certainty, that God will use the skills, whether I'm running a company, 
church, right? Raising a family. That God will use that in what he has me working in the new heavens and earth. Yeah. I think there, and that brings meaning. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, but There's like, I think it's, it's yeah. not a waste. Yeah. 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 You know, to your point, yeah, real quick, um, about not all work. It, it's not our definition of it is not that what, what brings in money. It's not right? just paid. I mean, do you, do you know when I feel that the most? Yeah. I'd love when, to when, when I, when I feel, uh, sometimes the most satisfaction of having worked and it feels just like yes. you get, you finish and you go, man, that was good. Yeah. It's when I've done good. yard work. Right. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that that's funny? Good. Like, and it, and it is this weird. Are you like, a yard jock? Like all your no, neighbors well, love your yard? Not necessarily, but, <laughs> but cause I don't, it's just My weird. neighbors complain about my yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't relate to it all in this. You're one of those neighbors. Like <laughs> yeah. Jeff's one of those. I'm not, I'm not that. Envy. I'm not that envy. Because I don't love it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I go, but you man, feel, but, it, but when you have had a, like a Saturday mm. where I have mowed the lawn, trimmed the hedges, uh, you know, picked weeds, whatever, you know, yeah. and, and it's just this long day's work of, you know, maybe five hours work of yard work that I didn't necessarily want to do. But when I finished it, it was like, man, I, not to over-spiritualize oh. this, but when God told Adam to work and keep the garden, to cultivate and protect, protect it, it. Mm. it was like, man, I just cultivated that piece of land. You did. And if there, I know this sounds weird to some people. There is a spiritual component to that. It feels like, man, that was, that was good. That was productive. I'm causing something. This is part of what work is, right? Redemptive work. I'm causing something yeah. to flourish, right? I'm bringing flourishing yes. to God's creation. And I think right? you're experiencing in a deep way echoes of Eden. Mm. I mean, there's a sense of delight. That's why it's called Eden, right? That's what Eden means is yeah. delight. delight. And the God is delighting in you and you are delighting in him, his relationship first, intimacies first, but in what you're doing together, in his good work. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, I think that you're experiencing that. You remember the old chariots of fire, it's been used a lot, but Eric Little captured yeah. that theology. Like, I, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah. And there's a goodness. Now, one day we will feel it awesomely without yeah. sin. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's foretastes of that yeah. where whatever work, there's hardships in work. Everyone here knows some of my work I don't like. I mean, it's hard, people I don't like. But there are moments yeah. when you feel God's pleasure. And my colleague Ronnie and I were having a conversation in Birmingham with some uh, with a wonderful business person. And afterwards, we went to the car and we just kind of have a say, We get paid to do this. Mm. You follow? Mm. The yeah. relationship. And not everyone has that kind of work. I understand sure. that. Yeah. yeah. But there was a sense of delight. Yeah. Laura, mm. any uh, final thoughts, yes. com- comments, yes. questions? For yes. You? First of all, I, I feel a little guilty now that every plant I've ever owned has died. Like, <laughs> <laughs> barely, I'm never going to have that idyllic <laughs> feeling <laughs> of cultivating my land. Uh, I also want to apologize <laughs> to any husband out there who wife whose wife is listening to this and says, "Well, Jeff said that it's godly to do yard work." Yes, so, yes. exactly. You know, so get I, out there. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> no, exactly. I appreciate that. I'm going to play this for my husband. Um, no, two things that came to mm. mind. First of all, I so appreciate you you kind of clarifying what work is. So mm-hmm. often when this conversation um, begins, so many of my stay-at-home mom friends kind of yes. tune out because they're thinking job, mm. nine-to-five corporate. Mm. When you're talking about work, yeah. you're just, and man, there's no, no harder job out Indeed there uh, That's than, right. than raising these babies. Uh, the the other thing would be, you know, you've, you've addressed that person who maybe doesn't value the quote secular, which we've already kind of debunked that the secular job, what would you say to the person who's maybe putting too much value uh, where Mm. work for them um, almost you're clearly not saying um, become a workaholic. Yes. Place your value in your job. Right. I'm in the corporate ladder. Right. What would you say um, to some, I mean, so it kind of feels like a, a slippery slope here. How do you mm. stay in the middle of where God calls us to be in our value of work? That's a great question. And I think we have to understand that in chapters of Genesis, even in the language, that work is a very central component, work as it's biblically defined, in our worship of God 24-7. Mm. So work... Our contribution, whatever we're, wherever we're called to be an ambassador and be a, you know, for the gospel and live out our life on Monday, that should never be minimized. I mean, in the sense that, and Paul will say, whatever you do, and that's a broad sense, 
do it for the Lord. Mm. He's your audience ultimately. He's the one. So I'm just saying we need to understand that work properly understood in the power of the Spirit as we serve God ultimately and serve our fellow man and woman is a really essential part of worship. In other words, our primary place of worship is not Sunday, it's Monday. Mm. Not to minimize Sunday, but worship is a 24-7, all that we are, all that we think, all that we mm. feel, all that we do. However, the danger in Genesis 3, right, when sin and death came into the world, is that like anything else, our hearts are idol factors. We, factories. we turn that which is ultimate, right, which is not ultimate to be ultimate. So work is never to be worshipped. Mm. But it's a means of our worship. And that's the difference. But our culture also, I'd say, our culture highly values workaholism, efficiency, activity, and minimizes the need for God's design for Sabbath rest. And you know that six to one rhythm is the biblical rhythm. So we need rest too, as you mentioned. But in our culture, yes, it's very easy for us. We're reinforced. But our identity is being the beloved of Christ. Our identity is not in our work, Mm. right? Not in our accomplishment. Our primary calling is intimacy, not accomplishment. And out of intimacy, we accomplish things for him, with him, with God's people and community. But that is, in my own life, my work. And pastors are, I mean, just pastors can really do this, y'all. Oh, yeah. We can be workaholics because we're so convinced that what we do is so much more important. Mm-hmm. Right? And we are, what we do is important, but we need to model and we can make ministry. We can make the crowd, success, and idol. Yeah. And, and any of us can. So mm. we don't worship our work, but work is a very important part of our worship. Mm. Primarily Monday, Good. not just Sunday. And again, I don't minimize, Sunday corporate worship is glorious. It's the crescendo. But our primary place of worship is Monday where we live, work, and play. So good, man. Thank you. It changes everything. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us. Thank you for- My joy your um, just your your insight and wisdom perspective on all this is so very helpful thank you um so we'll have you back at some point but also blessings to perimeter and your family you're an amazing congregation and i'd love to cheer you on from abroad Mm. and from kansas city and other places i am so keep up the awesome work okay congrats on the chiefs winning the super bowl go chiefs we're glad you joined us and we hope you stick with us in this series of faith and